0: All right, today's class is part four of our journey in hermeneutics, how to study scripture. We're following Duval and Hayes' book there that I've held up here before, and today's focus is paragraphs. Um, This is, we're just building out. We started with words and sentences, and now we're going to paragraphs. A paragraph is a distinct section of a piece of writing. That's the short version usually dealing with one theme and oftentimes indicated by a new line or indentation or numbering. You guys have seen plenty of paragraphs. Bible translators and Bible formatters are different categories of people. Uh, The translators work hard to go from the Greek and Hebrew, New and Old Testament, into the receptor language for us, English. After they've done all their hard work, a different group of people take it and try to make it aesthetically pleasing, as least jumbled as possible. Those people take a variety of strategies. All the Bibles in this room represent those various strategies. King James is every verse is a new paragraph. Other translators try to figure out where i uh, – I'm sorry, formatters. Where a main thought begins and ends, and sometimes they do that with the help of the translator. So they indent the first line of a new paragraph. Well, you guys know how they came up with the verse numbering and the chapter divisions in the Bible. We've talked about it at Grace Church before. Uh, they handed a guy who's never ridden a horse a big scroll of the Bible, and they gave him a ink pen and every time the horse did this, he just put a new verse in, right? There's almost no method to the madness sometimes when it comes to where the divisions are. It should not break in the middle of a sentence. But sometimes they do that just because, I guess they think we've been reading long enough and we need to come up for air. You need to read your Bible, I need to read my Bible, with less dependence on where the verse numbering is or isn't and where the chapter ends and begins and more like what's the thought that the biblical author is trying to convey well today we're going to focus on that we'll do so in three parts Um, as we think about paragraphs the art of observation nine things to look for in paragraphs if you uh, star students remember last time we looked at nine things to look for in sentences today will be in paragraphs some of those will be overlap and then we're gonna take the last part of today's talk to look at the sermon text that's going to be preached in our service. And we're going to try to look at that paragraph and apply some of the things we talk about. So first, intro to paragraphs, we want to, again, look at what is there. What is in the passage? What words did God use? How does he string them together? What thought is he trying to convey? And... You know, we're, we're living in the age where everybody wants a distilled, like, dissertation in a few little words. And uh, social media is training our brain to not be able to follow protracted thought, but the Bible's just full of protracted thought. All the narratives, the rich Old Testament vivid stories, kind of got to get the whole thing to get the main point. So observing the words that are there, who can, as we talk about an introduction to paragraphs and the art of observation, um, I'm going to get somebody to try to remind us of an illustration I used last time, so uh, you can get yourself ready for that. But before I ask for some help, in lesson three, uh, I told you we talked about sentences, that was last time, and how to make tons of observations about different sentences. Yeah, You guys just freely get more chairs as more people walk in. Thank you. Um, And this week we're shifting to paragraphs. I use a word that somebody asked about last time, pericope. That's a complete thought. That's got a kind of a beginning and an end bracket, a pericope. Inside a complete thought, there might be more than one paragraph. Um, So hopefully that'll make more sense as we as we move along. Let me give you an example. Uh, this comes straight out of the book that we're using as our guide. The gaping the gaping hole, H-O-L-E, was in the midst of it. That's a sentence. It's a complete sentence. The gaping hole was in the midst of it. Well, the question is, midst of what? How big is gaping? Well, that depends on the size of it because the whole can't be bigger than the it. So we need broader, immediate context, something more than a sentence, to be able to make sense of that sentence. So if we only read on the sentence level, we're inevitably going to misunderstand and then, uh, most dangerously, misapply to our life. All right, so here's the one I want somebody to remind us of. What, what's the basic uh, idea behind Dr. Agassiz's fish? I summarize that story for any who weren't with us last time? What was the assignment? Stare at the fish. Look, look, look. Stare at it. Right? And then what was the result uh, immediately and then ultimately? What happened to the student as he looked at the fish? Frustration. Yeah. Why, why was he frustrated? Because he didn't know what he was looking for, really. He was yeah. just looking at the fish. Yeah. And he thought he had exhausted every possible thing that anybody could conceivably look at in about the first 10 minutes. And then what happened? You guys know the story. What happened next? Or so At the end, what was the ultimate upshot? He kept on looking. And it had a really big impact on him long term for understanding that yeah. prolonged Yeah, yeah. It retrained him how to study everything in his field, even with other types of living things, insects, because the art of observation had shaped him so much. So let's see if we can follow nine different things to look for in a paragraph. There are more than these. Some of these overlap with the very same things we wanted to look for in sentences, but we'll use biblical examples for most, if not all, of these. So the first thing is, in a paragraph, look for things that are general and look for things that are specific. Have you noticed that in the Old Testament, this happens in the New Testament, this happens in the Gospels often. This happens in the Book of Acts often. But have you noticed that, especially in the Old Testament, In one sentence, you might cover like 500 years of human history, and in the next sentence, you're listening to a specific conversation between two people. Big general, very specific. Starting to pay attention to those generalities and specificities will help, okay? This has two generals. Two general statements in a very familiar verse to many of us. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Both walk by the Spirit and carry out the desire of the flesh are general. We don't know what that means without the surrounding content of the paragraph. The specifics are spelled out in the material around it. So... What by the spirit's general, desire of the flesh is general. Now here's the specificity. What what is the flesh? Well, Paul has something very specific in mind immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. "...of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." That's very specific. So you take the idea, don't walk in the flesh. Don't live by the flesh. What does that mean? And then you can see the specifics. Similarly, the fruit of the Spirit. In that previous verse, walk by the Spirit. Well, what is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, such things there is no law." You've heard me before describe this as a ninefold configuration of Christ. There's nine of them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's what Christ looks like. This is what Christ's likeness will look like in us. He's the most spirit filled man who's ever lived. Truly God, truly man, never defaulting to his deity to live the life God calls every man to live, mankind trusting the Spirit, depending on God's Word. And he had the fruit of Spirit filling. He walked by the Spirit, and this is what it looks like. So this is the Christ life. So uh, there's a lot of generals and specifics in the Bible. The more your antennae are tuned to see them, the more robust your understanding of God's mind will be. For example, we looked last week at Romans 12. Um, We were talking about the sentence that included the word world. Do not be conformed to the world. What does that mean? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we know it's a worldly way of thinking because the alternate is your mind. Shape your brain by God's word. All right. It's also a general and specific. Verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Then specifically, verses 9 to 13, tell us what that looks like. What would it look like to have a life sacrifice of acceptable worship to God which is reasonable for all of his people who know his mercy, I'm just going back in the verse, and are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. What would that general excellent goal look like? Just time out and pause. That's Bible phraseology. I just want to love you and try to pastor and help and shepherd us all, myself included. If you don't want that, there's a huge problem in your heart. Hey, we want to want to please God. That's the general admonition in verse 1 and 2. Specifically, this is what it would look like. I'm just taking phrases from verses 9 to 13 of Romans 12. Love would be without hypocrisy. You would abhor, you would hate what is evil. You would cling to what is good. You would be devoted to the local church. To one another, it's literally the church at Rome, in brotherly love, you would give preference to everybody except for yourself and honor them more than you try to honor you. You would not lag behind in being diligent in spiritual things and whole life worship. You would be fervent in spirit. You would serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribu- tribulation, be devoted to prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. You would practice hospitality. So do you see the general, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the specific verses 9 to 13? That's all over the Bible. All right. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual service of worship. Okay. What does that look like? Verse 9 to 13. So hopefully that's helpful in the first category, general specific. All right, there's also in paragraphs a lot of questions and answers. Sometimes they're rhetorical, sometimes they're explicit. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? That's two questions. Answer, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's Romans 6, 1 and 2. The more you start to see this dialogue the more we'll realize Paul's not talking only about some people 2,000 years ago. It's like he's standing inside your heart pointing at all your idols. And you want to know the answer to these soul-searching questions he's asking. All right? Another type of... uh, There's general specific. There's questions and answers. And then there's also dialogue. Sometimes the human author is having a conversation either with an actual uh person that he's thinking about sometimes with you and i the reader and sometimes vertically with god and i'm sure there's other examples for example in dialogue if you read habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 you would see two conversation partners in verses 1 to 4 habakkuk is talking to the lord In verses 5 through 11, God is talking to Habakkuk. And being able to say, oh, like if you color code your Bible, all these are yellow and all these are green. This is all Habakkuk. This is all God, whatever color you use. And it's helpful to see that. That, Now you start looking at the specifics in what Habakkuk says and the specifics in what God says to Habakkuk. That'll help. Okay. Okay. we're going to have. Plenty. I'm going to put all these on the screen later. We'll have time for questions and interactions and further explanations. So, purpose and result statements. This is huge. This is all of your so that's in the Bible. Ephesians two ten. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Like that's the whole reason. That before you were born, God determined to save you and give you a path to walk. He did all that. He prepared all these good works so that you would do it. That's a purpose statement. There's a lot of this in individual sentences, and there's a lot of this connecting whole paragraphs to the next paragraph. All of this so that... So look for the that's or the so that's or the in order that uh, when you read your Bible. Here's another example. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's a familiar verse, but it's so familiar that sometimes we can unhear it. So let's say it backwards. I don't want to sin against you. Therefore, I treasure your word in my heart. Now let's apply it. This is rhetorical. Don't answer aloud. I hope it's obvious. What are we saying to him if his word is not being treasured in our heart? The answer is as painful as it is obvious. I don't really care if I sin against you or not. I don't want to relegate it down to only scripture memory, but I think that's part of it. But it's more the treasuring. Satan knows the Bible; he can quote it. There's more than scripture memory in that verse. There's motivation. I don't want to sin. I want to obey. I need more of Your Word in my life. That's a big time. That okay means uh, how is something accomplished? How does the action get done? Super important when you're reading a paragraph. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how does it happen? By the Spirit. That's the means. That's how the engine is powered. Not self-effort. Holy Spirit wrought. Who's the one responsible for doing the action? I'm putting to death the deeds of the body. What's the fuel in my tank? The Holy Spirit, not self-effort. Paying attention to the means by which something is accomplished, super helpful. Okay, we'll get, uh, let's get a volunteer to read this verse to break the monotony of my voice. Psalm so 119.9. Uh, somebody read it. How can a young man keep his way pure? by keeping it according to your word. All right. So in the past verse, the power was the spirit. In this verse, the power is the word. Well, surprise, surprise. The God who wrote the book loves to use the book. Right? The spirit-inspired word is the spirit's favorite weapon for empowering us to obey. Okay? So means... All right, conditional clauses. Somebody tell us what a conditional clause is. Go to English class for just a second. Yeah, if this, then that, right? Conditional clauses. This is a pretty powerful one, isn't it? If we say that we have fellowship with him, that's God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it's if this, then this. If we say this, but do that, then this. There's a lot of these in Scripture. This is a positive one. If anyone is in Christ, then, it's, it's an implied then, it's not there, but it's conditional. He's a new creature. Old passed away, behold, new things have come. So just, these are just categorical things that trying to tune and train the antenna of our soul just to be looking for as we move through number seven divine and human action this is just like uh, not just like very similar to the means how something happens but paying attention to the responsible party okay here's an example Ephesians 5 let's have another reader break the monotony again of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay, so this has two types of um, this has both divine and human in one sentence. You'll see it when I highlight it and you could see it if I just pause for ten seconds and let you stare at it but let me highlight it. You do the yellow, Christ did the green. You imitate God because you're his love child. Christ did something you can't do. He gave himself for you as an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So it's really, all of that is grounded in this. It's built on this. It's based in this. Because Christ has done this, and made you, God's loved child, now imitate him. Right? So it's what he's done and what you've done. Divine and human action like this can oftentimes be in the same phrase. Emotional terms, this is important to pay attention to. This is part of the reason that on repeat you guys will hear me say things like read the Bible out loud. Or listen to good Narrators, I say good because for years, multiple friends asked me, how do you listen to that? You know the robotic voice that's in the Holy Bible app when you listen to the NASB? It's almost like you highlighted the Bible on your computer and told the robot to read it. (laughs) For years, I listened to that. Well, there's a lot better versions uh, than that out there and some really capable... Narrators, readers. In addition to them, I would encourage you to do it. Read your Bible out loud. Try to put inflection and emphasis where you think it should land. Or better yet, inflect and emphasize every single word, word. And then do it again with the next word. And then do it again with the next word. And then do it again with the next word. Until you figure out where you think the emphasis should land. There's a lot of emotion in the Bible. The Bible's not a technical, like, science book. It's not an instruction manual in the sense that you should be detached from the ethos of what's there. Emotions play a huge role in the Bible. Here's a Galatians 4 example I beg you, your body is sick, that has been a trial. You're very blessed and you can sense that. You would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. There's a lot of love behind that sentence. Have I become your enemy? Do you hate me now because of the love I've tried to show you? There's a ton of emotion just in what I've quickly surveyed. We're not meant to read that disengaged from what's happening from that relationship between Paul and the Galatian churches. All right, last is tone. It's similar to emotion, but this has to do with the force of the words rather than just the feel that's in them. You would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. A lot of emotion in that. This is more force. Like, What's the author trying to drive home? Why has he, you've heard a crescendo after a really good drum roll, when the cymbal smashes. What, what is the point that the author wants you to not miss? And does he drive it home with force? Well, here's an example. You foolish Galatians. Pretty strong wording. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Pretty sure he's wanting to get across a point here. This is what I want to know from you. How'd you get the Holy Spirit? By your own power? Or by what God did for you when you just simply believed? Are you so foolish? Having started by what God did, are you now going to make it on your own? Has all this been wasted time? Pretty strong passage. A lot of force in there. Another one, Matthew 23. Jesus speaking about people being serpents and brood of vipers and how are you going to escape hell? Pretty strong words. Jesus is trying to force home with some bold language. So pay attention to those things. Here's the nine things. Um, I'd like for us to spend almost all the rest of our time, looking at today's sermon text, because if it doesn't help you, it'll help me to reread it at least one more time, Uh, but let's just pause for a moment and say, what comments, or let's help each other. Last time, Tommy asked a really good question that he knew the answer to, because he wanted all of us to think about it a little more specifically. Let's just spend some time asking questions or helping each other. What thoughts, comments, questions do you have? You guys had too big of a lunch? Was it fried chicken day at the house and now everybody's in a food, food coma? One of the things, this is not a question, but just it comes to mind as I look at this, is this would be a good note card to have in my Bible when I'm reading to just remember. Great idea. You know, especially on the days when you're reading and it, it's like, it's hard today. Yeah, um, That's great idea. My, great idea. Remind me to mention something about that the last slide, second to last slide. Any comments or questions? Or yeah. I have one. It's about tone. That's the hardest thing for me to understand when I read my Bible. Okay. Um I think a lot of growing up and even in recent years I have interpreted, I guess, wrongly the tone of mm. the passages. So it's a, a good way to like, yeah. understand that better? Anybody have a helpful thought in their noggin on how to understand tone better? Especially when we're becoming aware that we might have missed it in times past. Anybody have a good thought on that? Yeah, Catherine. I don't have a good thought. I have an addition to her question. Okay. <laughs> um, I, would just, I was going to ask exactly the same question, but especially of the things Jesus says. Yeah say that last part especially the things Jesus says yeah yeah anybody have some good help for us on trying to get tone right when we read what looks like a static document and I say looks like because God said it's more alive than your smartphone backlit screen with videos this word is living and active that screen is dead and will pass away. It, how do we get to the tone? You may have a good thought. Yeah, brother. Uh, sometimes reading into different translations will help you see tone because one translation may not have captured. <coughs> it. Yeah. But uh, if you read it in two or three translations, you'll, you'll begin to capture what it is yeah. that the author's trying to say. Sometimes the wooden translation from the New American Standard doesn't necessarily capture it for our culture. But if you look at it in the NIV or living, you might find a feel, a tone that you wouldn't feel. Very helpful. Check a commentary? Yeah, say it again. Check some commentaries to see what they. Yeah, it's helpful. People who understand the language. Yeah. Explaining what's going on. Like One for me is when Jesus called Mary a woman. I've heard two different people either say that was not impolite or that was impolite. Like a, yeah. I think you've said before that was a respectful way of speaking. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And something I wish I had known. Every time you preach the book of the Bible and you finish, you God loves in his sense of humor to immediately show you about a dozen things you wish you would have known before you started. One of those is woman, John 2. When we got to the end of John, this is for those who've been around grace for a couple years, when he's dying on the cross, he says to John, woman, here's your son. Jesus brackets, John brackets the gospel with those two references, both of which are pointing to the cross. My time has not yet come. Woman, we're here now. And it's not derogatory, I don't think at all, but... Of course, I didn't see that until some weeks after I preached the sermon on that thing. So, (laughs) um, tone. Here's an example of tone. Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that? Three times Jesus brings that up. It's the parable of the talents. This guy multiplies. This guy multiplies. This guy doesn't. I think it's the other order. When the king comes back, and says, what'd you do with my investment? The last guy who didn't multiply says, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I hid your money in the ground. Here you can have back what's yours. Here's tone. Jesus said, my paraphrase, do you think that's who I am? If you thought that's who I was, you would have done opposite of what you just said. And then he says some really scathing things about where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think the point is, the guy had no idea who the Savior is. He didn't know him. But the tone, when you read it out loud, I think Jesus is saying, very forcefully. You think I'm like that? You don't know me at all. It's a, there's some force in there. Oh, I don't know, just reading it aloud, other translations, commentaries. Anybody else have a thought on tone that might help us? So we all read anything we read through the lens of our own experiences. Mm-hmm. We help it. We just do it. Yeah. Um, so I just think, just asking the Lord to show us what the tone was intended to be because helpful a way any other way. That's helpful. Amen. Yeah, Becca said prayer for those who hadn't heard, didn't, couldn't hear. Um, yeah, that's why I asked the professors of this book, uh, this class who wrote this book, asked one of them, if not, he said 90% of Bible interpretation is prayer. I said, like, so can we spend 90% of our class in prayer? Uh you like, ah, we're going to work on the 10%. You work on that on your own. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, lost people can read a Bible. And they can get it right. But they miss the most important. All right, let's look at today's sermon text. And, uh, again, this may not be helpful for everybody. It's going to be microscopic print because I was committed to put it on one slide. We're doing verses 1 to 15 of 1 Timothy 2. Not going to read it. You don't you can look at it here, you can look at it somewhere else, but there are a few things I want to highlight. First, where does the title for today's sermon come from? And does it have anything at all to do with the words on the screen? <laughs> I would hope so. Now, in Grace Church's weird way of doing things, we like to put the sermon texts out in advance. Because we do that, we try to find the main point and therefore break them down accordingly. And when we do that, we try to make a title. As a result, you get a little card. That's we got to be at this point right now. Um, when we give you that card, we always wish the deeper we go in study, we would have titled it something else, Right? So the titles are irrelevant almost the text is why we give it out but the title represents our effort to try to see what the main point is so when you get that sermon card in addition to reading it with your family on the way to church or in your quiet time however you do that i want to encourage you to utilize the sermon card but take a look at the title and see like is that the point of the passage That's what our title is at least trying to do. I'm not under any delusion we always get that right. Where does the title for today's sermon come from? The title is Jesus Treasuring Men and Women. That's the title of what I think this is about. Where does that come from? Well, right in the middle, there's a joining word. Likewise, all this in the same way, this. Okay? Well, what is this and this? This is first of all, I want the men. Likewise, I want the women. Jesus treasuring men, Jesus treasuring women. Now, some argue that this is applicable both directions, and I agree in in a lot of ways. And many argue that verse 8 though it says I want the men is mankind and I agree with that. But generally, these exhortations on behalf of all men, kings all in authority, likewise women, so I want this for all the brothers, I want this for all the sisters and yes, where there's overlap, please do that too. Alright, so in this part, Jesus treasuring men and then I have the slide flipped uh, for this part, I would say there are six six interconnected chain links. It's one chain with unbreakable links right here. If you're a Jesus-treasuring man, this chain will be part of what it looks like in your life. So you would do something for everybody with a particular aim, on the basis of something because God did something therefore you'll do the thing that's the six links to the chain in that paragraph so this is what you'll do you will be prayerful but like really prayerful not just filling some space with a few little spiritual words entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving like urgently doing that You will do that for all men, mankind, especially people in leadership, church and civil, kings, all who are in authority. So you will do something for all people, that's two links of the chain, with a particular aim for you and for everybody. Tranquil and quiet life, that's what you want God's people to be able to live. In all godliness and dignity, that impacts not only you but others. Okay, so there's three links in the chain. Fourth link, why should you do that? On what basis? Because God believes it's good. God thinks it's acceptable. God thinks it's right. So you should pray like this for all people for this reason because God thinks it's good. That's four links in the chain. All that is grounded in what God has done for us in Christ and in the gospel. There's only one God. There's only one God. And therefore, there's only one mediator. That's Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. And verse 7 is, this is what I was appointed to preach and teach. So all that is on the basis of the gospel And then, that's the fourth link in the chain. The fifth link in the chain. um, Sorry, five. Oh, sorry, four. Good and acceptable in the sight of God. Five on the basis of the gospel. And six. So do it. Pray. Just like he said here. Do it. Holy hands without wrath and dissension. So to me, that's the way verses 1 to 8 link together. Uh, I think one thing leads to the other and can't be extracted from the ones before it and after it. Well, to the Jesus treasuring women, what, what would that look like? There's more that God says elsewhere in scripture, but here it at least includes two things. One, you're already beautiful in God's sight. Number two, So embrace your distinct role in his plan. His purposes. So this assumes you treasure Christ supremely. Last week's passage, the week before that passage, at the end of chapter 1. So do this. Uh, Number one, you are beautiful in God's sight. You don't have to give yourself to trying to furiously keep up with whatever the current standard of outward beauty is. But, so not that, but this. Good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. You're already beautiful in God's sight, in Christ. So, embrace your God-given role. That's quiet reception of instruction submissively, not pastoring, I'll summarize verse 12, that way Paul uses those same words to talk about pastors more than one time in this same letter, teaching and exercising authority in God's wise design that role, at that office and function is for men in the congregation so embracing that role and then there are uh, multiple things said about that One, uh, we're to do so quietly, but if that means never talking whatsoever, then Paul has to live his whole life in silence because that's the exact same word, right? Pray for everybody so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. If that means 100% mute, then it can mean it here. If it doesn't mean it here, it can't mean it here, right? Paul's thinking about something specific to the congregation in Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. Um, So you're given an instruction in verse 11 and 12. Now you're given an illustration in verses 13 and 14 from the garden, Genesis chapter 3, the fall into sin. And then you're given a glorious promise in verse 15. Preserved through the bearing of children if you continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So that's the whole paragraph, and that's how I think it fits together. (laughs) Jesus treasuring men, Jesus treasuring women. This is what it basically looks like in our life together as a congregation, especially in our assemblies when we gather for worship. So we have five minutes, and that's the end of my presentation. Let's... uh, ask some questions. I told you I'd put up two slides. This is last week, nine things in sentences. Maybe that's one side of the card that we should have in our Bible. And then this week, nine things in paragraphs. So boom, boom. Ben Bailey always puts these slides in the Grow podcast, uh, which somehow he takes from here and there and puts in your phone. Uh, You can click on the slides if you want them, so you'll have them all. Okay, comments or questions about any of that? But I'm just going to leave up this while we talk. So, was the question about the title of the sermon? Is that what you're. Well, I was at least trying to show where I got it men, women. But yeah, please help me. Or what was your thought? I think, like, Jesus treasuring men, Jesus treasuring women. It's like it can mean these women or these men treasure <clears throat> Jesus, but it can also mean Jesus treasures men and women this way. Like He gave His yeah. life as a ransom. Yeah. And this is like this, uh, this is a double meaning sentence. I'm the king of double meaning. Catherine, um, she loves it. That's a good dad joke. Catherine's mom, Catherine's mom has the unenviable task of reading something I wrote. And I'm constantly doing double meaning. And she's helping it, especially the title of the whole thing, which was Christ Treasuring Churches? And it's exactly what you just said. Does it mean he treasures them or they treasure him? And that's what I said, but that's not what I wrote about. <laughs> So uh, I mean, men treasure him, and ladies treasure him, and if you do, this isn't talking about that. This is talking about what it looks like if you do that. So, good. Okay, two minutes. Uh, any comments or questions, Tommy? I, I probably, you probably already said this, but I was meant to. I said I wasn't think it. Um, can you give us an example of one of the paragraphs uh, the nine little things and how it plays out in this paragraph yeah so here's the things general and specific Uh, let's talk about uh, this one divine and human action alright so let me go to that slide okay you do all this You pray. Pray for all people. Pray for people in leadership. Do it for this reason because God loves it. Beginning of verse 3, right over there. That's all you, right? Divine and human action. That's human. This is divine. God wants something. God has, he's impassible, he doesn't have passions, he's simple. And he's roused to pleasure when things happen that he loves. And he wants people to be saved. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's only one of him, Triune. He sent the mediator. Whoop. So this is all divine action. Christ did this. Christ gave himself. Christ is the ransom. Even this is something Paul does, but God appointed him to do it. Preach, teach, the whole world. That's Gentiles are all (coughs) non-Jews. He's supposed to do that, but God's the one who appointed him to do it. So we do this, Christ did that, therefore we do this. This is one example of divine human. I'm sure there's nine plus all the other ones that could have been on the slide good okay Uh, i'm gonna pray i'm gonna ask that metal chairs go on this rack don't start moving yet please foamy chairs go around the tables this and this go over there on that side and i think the middle school i still hear Stephen teaching so after i pray let's make sure they're done before we do that part our service will start in 10 minutes lord willing let's pray father this is a really tough passage we're about to try to understand. It's tough because it's hard to understand, and sometimes it's tough because we understand and don't want to obey. <laughs> but I pray for both understanding and glad-hearted obedience. Help this church to live faithfully in light of 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 15. Pray that you would give me an ability to say clearly what I ought to say, and uh, that you would, more than that, go between, under, around, through all the words by the Holy Spirit and make us love Jesus, treasure Him, and our life to reflect that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.